Hello everyone, welcome to the SciCast podcast second season. My name is Ashton Noon and this podcast is about psychology and mental health. But this time with a new season, we have a new topic, which is life in healthcare and the process of getting there. This will range from therapists to sleep medicine professionals to medical students, so make sure to stay tuned. Welcome to the SciCast podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Gerber. She is an anesthesiologist and also has a fellowship in regional anesthesiology and acute pain medicine. She graduated from Stanford University and from USC School of Medicine and is an affiliated clinical instructor at Stanford University. So thank you so much for agreeing to this podcast interview today. It's nice to be here. Thanks, Ashton. So the question I start with with most of my guests on the podcast is how they got into their specialty or field. So I just want to ask you, so just uh, what led you to anesthesiology and what inspired you to pursue medicine and choose anesthesia as a specialty? So most medical students don't get the exposure to anesthesiology early on in their core rotations. Mm-hmm. And so I was lucky enough to kind of get exposed to it a little earlier than medical school, um, actually through music. Um, as I'm a violinist and growing up in the Bay Area, and continuing to do a lot of my education in the Bay Area, I was able to continue performing at various venues, including the hospital. And when I was performing in the hospital, I really valued the therapeutic aspects of music and how it alleviated pain in patients um, who would come to listen. And so I decided to pursue a field within medicine that had everything to do with um, alleviating pain, which is anesthesiology. And so because of that, I got into research early on um, in my undergrad career and was able to get exposed to the field of anesthesiology and was very drawn to it from the start and kind of pursued it late in my undergrad years and then when I was in medical school. I see. And I recall from the, the SASE program, which is where I got connected to you, Dr. Well, I forgot his name. It was one of the first lectures we had and is is uh 10 ways to die lecture I believe it was called and how he's talking about oh, okay. um how like anesthesiologists don't just like you know press a button and give anesthesia but their job is to keep the patient alive like specifically could you yeah. describe like what your job is like how you keep the patient alive Sure So anesthesiology is a pretty broad field we primarily work as anesthesiologists in the operating room where we take a patient from one side of surgery to the other. In the preoperative area and before their surgery, we get to know the patient, we get to know all of their medical problems. We make up a plan for them on how to best get through surgery. And then in the intraoperative period, where we're actually taking care of them under surgery, we make sure that they are stable and um, treat any pain that they might have from the surgery. Mm-hmm. And then in the post-operative period, we again take care of their pain needs as well as um, their comfort as they recover from the surgery. There nice. are various subspecialties within anesthesia as well. Mm-hmm. My subspecialty happens to be regional anesthesia and acute pain medicine, which entails performing nerve blocks to various parts of the body 
to either relieve pain for a patient without the use of opioids or to provide surgical anesthesia for a patient so that they can have a part of their body operated on without requiring general anesthesia, which is when a patient is completely under uh, asleep um, right. for a surgery. I see. So, yes, it's not just the push of a button. We, yeah. we do... <laughs> tailor our um, anesthetic plan to every single patient that Mm -hmm. uh, comes to us. And the beauty of it is that you generally take care of one patient at a time. Mm -hmm. So your sole focus for the period of time that you're working is on that one patient and you're able to really get to know them and they really, you know, have to put their trust in you to get them Mm -hmm. safely through surgery as you're putting them to sleep and then waking them up and doing lots of stuff in between to make mm-hmm. sure that they stay stable throughout their surgery. Are there like common challenges that you face like for every patient or just like, I don't know, just challenges in general in anesthesia? Yeah, I would say a challenge, uh, but part of the fun of being an anesthesiologist is mm-hmm. that you only know a patient for a very short amount of time. Right. And so, like I was saying, they have to trust you. They have to put their lives in your hands. And that entails knowing all that you can about the patient, preparing plan A, B, and C for the patient should they become unstable under surgery and developing a very short but intense relationship with them mm-hmm. for the time that they're you know, undergoing what's probably the most stressful period of their life. Right. Uh, I remember earlier when you were talking about like how you got into anesthesiology, how you started research early. How much research have you had to do throughout your journey in medicine? Like how much has it changed as you, as you progress through like med school or like internship or like residency or like fellowship? It's changed quite a bit. I started in undergrad mm-hmm. doing pain research. That was initially my draw to the field. So it was about chronic pain specifically. And that was more of clinical research with some basic science research components as well. Sorry, that was an undergrad. Uh And then um, it was kind of a foray for me, I guess Mm -hmm. you would put it that way, into determining whether or not I really liked the field enough to pursue it. Yeah, And thankfully, I I really loved it. I loved um, getting to be in the operating rooms. Um, and see what an anesthesiologist actually did behind the scenes. And that transitioned um, into uh, more medical education research as I was at Stanford doing my clinical research and was able to get latched onto an academic program within Stanford mm-hmm. through the Stanford AIM lab, the An- Anesthesia Informatics and Media Lab, whose aim was to, amongst many other things, provide medical education to budding anesthesiologists in training or residents. I see. And then um, throughout medical school, I focused on that medical education part of research. Within my residency program, we did have time to pursue research as well. And that's when I started to focus on my regional anesthesiology research in preparation for my fellowship in regional anesthesiology. And that was focused on nerve blocks and Mm -hmm. their effects on the body. I see. And this is a question kind of for me, actually, but how did you get involved into research in med school? Like initially, how did you get into that, into pain research? Oh, yeah. So 
I was an undergrad at Stanford mm-hmm. and I knew I wanted to take a year to apply to medical school and kind of not be a student mm-hmm. for yeah. a year and just do my hobbies and my interests before this known very long path of medicine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so I took a year off, quote unquote, is what they call it, um, mm-hmm. to do all that. And so during that time, since I was a Stanford undergrad, we were exposed to many of the departments of medicine within the School of Medicine at Stanford. And there mm-hmm. were just some job postings of labs that were looking to hire research assistants. So that's how I got involved with Dr. Larry Chu in the Uh, Stanford Anesthesia Informatics and Media Lab. I see, um, I see. He's the founder of, yeah. Right. And speaking of hobbies, I mean, you mentioned you play violin. I also play violin. um, Oh, cool. But I don't know, recently, uh, like I've been playing since like fourth grade, but recently, mm-hmm. I've been playing less, actually, like kind of less motivated to play with school. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I look, I, I kind of had like a mindset of like, if I'm not going to be a musician, like, why should I like keep practicing? Why should I keep pursuing it? But how did uh-huh. you continue violin throughout like your career and like in school? That's a great question. I just felt like it was an outlet for me or it is mm-hmm. an outlet for me. You know, other people have healthy hobbies like exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I. I try to exercise and, you know, work out when I can. But Mm -hmm. for me, my passion is the violin. And that was just from a very young age. I just loved it and found myself to be pretty good at it. And that kind of motivated me to keep going. And Mm -hmm. being in this area for a very long time since childhood, growing up playing music with people in this area who have now moved on to become professional musicians and then coming back for training here as a resident had really allowed me to continue my passion for music with the same people that I grew up playing music with in childhood. Mm-hmm. Kind of cool. And so I think it's more of a social thing as well. You know, yeah, just yeah. Like playing with my old friends again and finding purpose in it. Mm-hmm. As it kind of is very interconnected to the reason why I went into medicine in the first place. You know, playing right. music for people was very rewarding. Just mm-hmm. as taking care of people is yeah. very rewarding in a very general sense. Do you find yeah. yourself still playing like consistently today? I mean, I'm sure you're yes, busy, but yeah, uh, yeah, we I play quite a bit. Yeah, it's um all I do except you know aside from my job and taking care of my two kids yeah. at home is play violin. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, I have a quartet, a string quartet. Oh, which yeah. is as you might know comprised of two violins, a viola and a cello, and right. so these are friends that I've played with for cumulatively almost 25 years, if you can believe that. Um, (laughs) And so we just had a concert the other weekend, Mm -hmm. uh, a month ago. And then I also am the concert master of the Stanford Medicine Orchestra. Oh, I didn't know that. Which, yeah, it's second season this year. Mm -hmm. Um, We started it last year after the pandemic. And it's just been a great way to collaborate with my colleagues outside of the hospital because the orchestra is comprised of doctors, nurses, Mm -hmm. administrative assistants, and research staff of the School of Medicine and affiliated. So it's been really fun to play with them outside the hospital. I'm sure it's a way to get closer with like other doctors, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I used to play in orchestra and I have many friends who also play the violin, but I haven't had the opportunity to, I guess, like play with them. It, for me, violin wasn't really like a social thing. It was just like a thing you practice at home and then like you do concerts. Yeah. But I think exactly. What orchestra actual... were you? 
Uh, it was like a Palace Verdi Symphony Orchestra. Some of my friends still go there, but I stopped going. But it's at a church, and then they have like concerts, and I think the concert master is like relatively well known. Or not, sorry, not the concert master, the the conductor. The conductor. Yeah,、mm-hmm. but yeah, I never thought of violin as like a social thing. So I guess that could be a motivator for me to start playing again. Really? Yeah. Kind of shifting back because I had a question about this earlier. When you mentioned the pandemic, I want to ask like, how did the pandemic play a role? Because you finished your fellowship in 2020, if I'm getting that correct. That's like, right. How did? Yeah. How did the pandemic just affect your process、Training. into? Yeah, that's a great question. I think finishing fellowship in 2020 at Stanford was right around the time that Stanford built their new part of the hospital and、mm-hmm. was trying to expand clinical volume and attract more patients and all of that. And so it was kind of a strange time period where we were expanding the hospital, but also shutting down the hospital、yeah. parts of the hospital at least for the pandemic and trying to quarantine and. Trying to keep everybody safe, including the staff, but it really highlighted how important the medical field is、mm-hmm. to me and to the general population. As you know, we didn't stop working; we were still there yeah, <laughs> every yeah. day, training and and helping people through surgeries. The way it changed clinically was that mostly urgent surgeries or emergency surgeries were happening、mm-hmm. rather than elective surgeries at the very beginning of the pandemic. As a way to help reduce people's exposure to potential virus and to conserve on supplies, and so、um, our volume was definitely less, but the intent was still there, and right, right. the intensity with which we were、um, practicing medicine was like higher than ever.、Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to keep everyone safe in an unknown for an unknown period of time, yeah,、right. um, with has... unknown effects of the virus for that right, matter. Right. And、yeah. as we start to wrap up this episode, I just want to ask: like, is there anything like recent about COVID that's like happening? Just because I know I see like a lot more cases recently. Is this like a thing that I don't know? I should be worried about again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to test every patient coming in for surgery at、uh-huh. my hospital. So I work at the Santa Clara Valley Medical Center、um, as a staff anesthesiologist. I am a clinical instructor affiliate at Stanford, but I work. Clinically at the Santa Clara Valley Medical Center, which is a hospital that is for the general public,、mm-hmm. so people who don't have insurance generally don't see a doctor regularly for routine medical care. And just a plug for the County of Santa Clara, the Santa、mm-hmm. Clara Valley Medical Center. It's a very amazing place to work because you really feel like you have an impact on these patients walking through the door.、Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we used to test every patient coming into the hospital for surgery for COVID, and now we no longer do. We just take general precautions. Personally, I still wear my N95 mask every time I'm with a patient,、um, especially as an anesthesiologist. We are very close as doctors to the patient's face, right, right, and、yeah. intubating them for surgery, which means placing a breathing tube, is what's called an aerosol generating procedure. So. The aerosols from your lungs, which may contain virus, are aerosolized when you perform these procedures. So, all in all, that just means I'm protecting myself still because I don't know whether the patients I'm taking care of are COVID positive or not.、Mm-hmm. And in general, I think people are more relaxed about you know the whole thing. Yeah. But we still know that it's around, and 
we try to be as safe as we can. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it seems like although cases are rising in the community, we're not seeing a ton more cases within the hospital, meaning they're not being hospitalized. Nice. At least they're not, the patients we see are not because we need to emergently yeah. intubate them to protect their lungs and protect mm-hmm. them from the virus. So yeah, so that's how the current situation is in the hospital. I'm glad that. <laughs> yeah. <All right. laughs> uh, well, I think that is it for our time today. Thank you so much for joining me. Sorry it went on longer than I intended it to. Oh, um, not at all. But thank you so no. much for taking the time of your day. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much to Dr. Gerber for joining me today. It was so nice to talk to you again outside of the SASTI program, and I really liked hearing about your job as an anesthesiologist. And also, thank you so much for inspiring me to continue the violin. It was very motivating to hear you talk about music in addition to your job. So thank you everyone for listening, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye.